Hello and welcome to Behind the Health Statistic. My name is Ricky Hellier and I'm a lecturer at Cardiff University School of Healthcare Sciences. In this two-part episode, we're going to be looking at clinical research and the role of nurses within research. In this first part, one of our first-year undergraduate students in nursing, Connor Rawlinson, is going to have a chat with Mandy Edwards, who is a Cancer Research UK Senior Research Nurse for Wales, based at Anirum Bevan University Health Board, and Vian Britton, who is a Research Delivery Manager at Cardiff and Bale University Health Board. In the second part, Mike Johnson will talk to Alison Johnson about her role as working as a nurse within the field of Huntington's disease research. So what is healthcare research? Well, essentially, it's just the acquisition of knowledge and data to improve the health and well-being of people, families, communities and societies. It can take multiple different forms, including research trials, which look to develop new treatments and therapies for a range of conditions. And Mandy and Vian will talk to Connor about these within the context of cancer today. But research is more than just trials. It can be an exploration of behaviours, of service users, professionals, communities, or an investigation into how ill health and health issues impact people, as well as communities and families. Even within these separate forms of research, there are different techniques and methodologies, and there are thousands of healthcare professionals, administration staff, and professional researchers who work within this field. Now let's go over to the discussion. Hello everybody, I'd just like to start by introducing myself. My name is Connor Rawlinson. I'm a first year nursing student here at Cardiff University and I'm uh, delighted to be joined by Mandy and Vianne today. Uh, could you guys maybe introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Vianne Britton. I'm the Research Delivery Manager um, based within the Clinical Research Facility in Cardiff and Bale University Health Board. And I oversee the research delivery team um, supporting both early phase research and late phase research. Um, across the whole health board, really, across multiple specialisms. And my name's Mandy Edwards, and I'm the Cancer Research UK Senior Research Nurse for Wales. Uh, I used to work with Rianne, she used to be my manager when I used to run studies in late phase in the Nyland Bevan Health Board. And basically, at the moment, my role is supporting cancer research across the whole of Wales and supporting new ways of opening up cancer trials quickly based on how we managed to open COVID studies very quickly. And I'm sure we will discuss more as this conversation continues. And it's very nice to meet you, Connor. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm sure we'll discuss a lot of it. Um, as mentioned, I am a student and research is actually something that I'm really interested in. But I'll be honest, it's something that I don't know that much about. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to this talk. Uh, first question, I guess, could one of you maybe tell me what clinical research is? Yeah, so I, I suppose clinical research, um, it's, there's, there's two avenues really that come to mind when, when you talk about clinical research. Um, so specifically, my career has been as a research nurse, so very much looking at more kind of the practical elements of clinical research. So what I mean by that is really, um, as a research nurse, we um, deliver clinical trials to patients that are often put together by um, external sponsors, um, universities, pharma pharmaceutical companies, etc. And our role is very much um, making sure that we're delivering that uh, treatment to patients in a safe uh, and effective uh, way, making sure that it, um, it adheres to regulatory standards and um, ethical guidelines as well. So that's more kind of the practical aspects of clinical research, but then you've also got the academic side of things where you may get somebody um, who is a nurse researcher. 
So it, it can be a bit confusing. You'll have like a, a nurse researcher or you'll have a research nurse. Sometimes you get a bit of both. Um, but a nurse researcher is um, usually somebody, a nurse who has their own project to, um, to roll out to patients. So they might be more academically focused. They have a research idea and they may apply for grants and put that research proposal together to then deliver to patients and then formulate their um their data analyses to answer a specific question. Um, if that's a very quick answer in a nutshell, I'm sure Mandy can will probably expand on a few things there. Could I ask when when you say about a um, a nurse researcher, would that would an example of that be somebody maybe who's taking on some further education, um, doing their masters, maybe going into a PhD afterwards, something like that? So a nurse who chooses to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, as I said, it, it might be somebody who, um, and they may be doing it as part of a PhD, they've applied for a grant, they've been successful in getting that grant, or um, some sort of sponsorship, they put together a, um, as I said, a, a research proposal. So they, they formulate a question, essentially, and then they need to um, devise a protocol, um, a, a research um design that will answer that question if that makes sense so they put together a protocol they have to go through all sorts of regulatory guidelines and ethical submissions to make sure that it's safe and ethical for patients Um, then they might actually be involved in delivering that research study themselves or they may have somebody like a research delivery team deliver it for them Um, ultimately then collecting all the data and I suppose a nurse researcher will probably be responsible for conducting that data analysis, maybe alongside a statistician and putting that research paper together to, um, to answer that question that they've, they've come up with. Um, Mandy, I don't know if you want to expand on that a little bit more. Yeah, so often what can happen when you have uh, someone who becomes a nurse researcher it sometimes is almost accidental. Obviously, certainly allied health care professionals, as well as advanced nurse practitioners, practitioners, will often do audits, quality audits, and look at ways that the, a service can be improved. And very often I hear a story from people I've worked with that they might be doing a master's and they might decide to develop a research question around how they can improve the service where they are working. And then often this can snowball and lead to that more someone becoming a nurse um, researcher. Um, There can be barriers to that. A lot of the nurses can struggle with having the time to do it or getting the support to do it. Um, But certainly I think more and more now there is support. Areas are recognising the value of having research active people, be it as clinical research nurses or as nurse researchers, because it is shown evidence is out there, and I can't remember the reference, and I (laughs) apologise, that shows that patients will do better in hospitals and care, places of care which are research active. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting one. It's it's funny that you say about um, how they kind of find ways to make improvements, because um, my kind of like my mind jumps first to um, obviously there could be maybe logistical improvements that could make things be more efficient and more effective. But then also when you're actually thinking about uh, about the patients who take part in these, um, can one of you maybe tell me like what are the benefits of? Well, first of all, how do you choose who takes part in these trials, and then what kind of benefits do these patients often see by being part of these trials? So um, to start off to answer the first question. 
patients that are eligible, when you have a protocol, a protocol is like your, we used to call it our Bible, it's our guidelines. And in that protocol, you will have eligibility criteria. That'll be the people who can be included in the research and the people who for safety reasons or who won't answer the question will be excluded from the research. From there, certainly in the cancer studies that I used to run when I worked in haematology and lung and breast, you would often go to an NDT and in your mind there would be five or six research studies you would be aware were active at that time. And at that NDT meeting, you would have your protocols. I would sit there with my protocols. I would also make sure I'd had a quick discussion with the consultants at the meeting. And obviously, as the patients' cases were being discussed, we would then say, are they suitable for this research? Are they suitable for that research? And so it's very much decided in collaboration with the whole NDT. Uh, sometimes there would be a patient would come up and the clinical nurse specialist in a particular area might say, actually, that patient's very fragile. I don't think we can approach them. Sometimes that decision would be made once we were in clinic getting ready to make an approach to a patient. It, it was very fluid in regards to when you would approach someone and whether they were suitable in, once they'd been identified as being able to take part in that research study. Mm. And I hope that's answered your question because I can't remember. That definitely the answered the first else. half. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe you can answer the second half, which was um, what kind of benefits do patients often see from taking part in these trials? Okay, so um, benefits wise, I, I think Mandy's already alluded to it somewhat. Is that you know if you if you're taking if you're seen within a research active organisation, then um, there is research out there that says that um, patients will experience better outcomes. Mm. Um, but that's not the only benefit. Obviously, if you're taking part in a clinical trial, um, it does take a lot of a patient's time. Usually with, with a clinical trial, it may involve extra visits to the hospital, for example, which can have um, obviously an impact on that patient's time. But I think a lot of the feedback that we do get from patients is that they feel really well looked after. They feel like they're having almost like a VIP experience. Um, and obviously, if you're giving a, say, you're giving a brand new drug, you have to keep a close eye on them for safety purposes anyway. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's, there are some drawbacks with taking part in a clinical trial, particularly with time commitment. But the benefits, um, I think a lot of the patients see the benefits and really value to have that close relationship with their research nurse, as well as being followed up by the consultant on a more regular basis. I see. And, and, so, yeah. and so when you mention about how, obviously, you've kind of alluded there to how there are benefits, but there are also some maybe some drawbacks for people. Do you, do you often, um, do you ever come across maybe... Um, some trials where you struggle to actually get people to, to take part in it? Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, <laughs> sorry, Mandy, you go. How, yeah, how, how would you go about countering that? Yeah, some of the haematology trials. It, it, it's an interesting one because obviously um, these things go through very rigorous ethics um, to make sure there's, there's obviously a... You, you do not want to cause harm. Uh, but like Vianne said, certainly some of the early phase, and she'll be able to talk more about the early phase trials than I can because I'm, I'm a late, late phase trial. But I can think of one study we ran in haematology and one of the drugs that we were trialing, the patients had to come into hospital for blood tests three days in a row. 
every single week for quite a few weeks and it was a big ask and you have to remember these patients can be quite poorly they can be very tired they are relying on family members or friends to bring them in and sometimes they are having to wait for a good few hours whilst the bloods are taken and reviewed before they they, it's like yes it's now safe for you to go home and they're coming in not knowing whether or not they might be admitted as well and that can make it tricky. I have had had patients who we've approached actually turn down studies like that because they just want to focus on what is known. And that's, you know, perfectly okay. And, you know, at any point, anybody who takes part in any research can actually withdraw at any time. Yeah. And I think that's very important to hold. Yeah. And I guess the only thing that I would add to that, you know, from from an early phase perspective is, um, so if Mandy talks about haematology haematology trials, and we do see quite a lot of haematology patients where where I work also, um, but I think when it's um, an early phase clinical trial, that 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 patient may have already undergone um, significant rounds of treatment under standard of care, mm-hmm. um, and it may be that actually, you know, you do have these difficult conversations where that um, those treatments haven't worked for them. So they're looking at a clinical trial to see if that will work for them. Sometimes, you know, that that it can almost be like a last avenue for them. And you do have very difficult conversations. Um, you know, again, it's completely up to the, the patient if they want to take part. We never force anybody to take part. And, and that's part of something called good clinical practice where you give that patient um, all the information about the trial, you explain all the risks and benefits and you give them the opportunity to ask questions, they can withdraw at any point. Um, but I, I do find in terms of your question, Connor, where, you, you know, do we find anyone who, um, any trials where we struggle to get participants? I think if we're doing a, a trial where perhaps the patient group is, is more well, I, I think sometimes you find that it's a bit more of a commitment taking part of it in a clinical trial. Um, well, no, that's probably the wrong way to put it. It's not more of a commitment, but I think if, if that patient group is well, then they think, well, what, you know, why, why do I need to have all these extra um, visits to hospital? And sometimes you can, I think, I'm thinking probably some of our endocrine trials, um, where there are other treatment avenues in yeah. standard care, um, whereas you know for, for some of the haematology and the, the cancer trials, um, there, there may not be as many options available to those patients. Yeah, I think I, I, you've already kind of mentioned it, um, both of you saying that you're early stage and that, Mandy, you're more late stage. Um, I, I think, Vianne, you've kind of mentioned a lot there about what early stage really means. Is there anything you want to add to that? And then maybe Mandy, could you explain to us uh, what late stage trials would mean? Yeah, so I'll I'll start with early phase. Sorry, I should have explained that probably at the the beginning, but um, clinical trials, um, they have to go through various different processes before, and and I'm talking about maybe drug trials, um, just as an example, um, before a drug can be licensed. So um, obviously when a drug's first developed, it has to go through laboratory testing, um, and then it will go also go through um, other tests before it actually um, first gets tested on humans. So that's basically what early phase means, is it is drugs or um, interventions that are being tested on humans for the first time. So it's a lot more intensive. There's, there's a higher risk 
involved, I, I suppose. I can imagine. But usually with the with these studies, you get um, there's there's less in terms of recruitment to those studies um, because we're keeping a really really close eye on these 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 patients. Um, there's lots involved. Sometimes it will involve overnight stays for the patients, and they have to have hourly monitoring, for example. Um, and we have to do lots of risk assessments and make sure that there are plans in place so that if the patient becomes unwell, that um, they, they, they're going to the right place within the hospital. Thank you. So a later phase study, um, so again, I, I will go more to the haematology because that was my major specialism, um, will sometimes be, it will be drugs that are already licensed. And they can be drugs that, so they're drugs that we know humans seem to tolerate well, seem to be good. But actually, if we expand the population of people we are making this drug available to, does this then continue with this positive impact outweighing the negative impact? Or are the side effects worse, you know, as we make it sort of open to a more diverse population? And so sometimes these will be drugs that are already licensed, but they're being tried for the first time at treating a different disease. So often um, in some of the haematology trials, it will be they use this medication. It's already licensed for this haematology cancer, but actually we think it might work in this other haematology cancer. Let's look at standard of care and compare it with this new drug, which isn't a new drug, but it's new for treating this disease. Another sort of um, later phase trial that we see is ones where uh, so with some cancers in haematology, they're palliative and at the moment we can't cure them. But what we have is a first line of treatment. And then when it comes back, we have a second line treatment, third line treatment, fourth line treatment. And often what will happen is that new drugs, and I'm thinking especially things like the monoclonal antibodies, uh, when I was working in haematology, they would be quite a late stage. They would give them to patients at quite a late stage. So they'd already had multiple lines of treatment. And then what would happen, they'd bring it forward and they go, okay, if we treat patients with this monoclonal antibody as a primary treatment, do they stay in remission for longer? Do they not progress? Is their progression-free survival longer? And so it's answering those sorts of questions more in a later phase as opposed to a brand new drug and we don't know what it's going to do. So we've got to be very careful. You're still very, very careful but there is more is known about it. Yeah. So they tend to be bigger and a lot more people take part. Yeah, I think one of the great things that I was just thinking of then as, as you were speaking is that um, there have often been times when um, I know that as a student, you get told no question is a stupid question. And, um, mm -hmm. and when I'm on placements, for example, I, I kind of try and take that on board and I ask as many questions as I can. And sometimes I think to myself or... Uh, why why is this the first treatment that, that you jump to you know if this person if you're thinking that maybe this is um this is what we need to be treating this patient for how how did you decide upon this first line of treatment and obviously that would have come from research um it would have been research yes. thorough research into the topic to and, and i think kind of we might maybe take that for granted because um you know you might think oh somebody somebody's spiking a temperature paracetamol and you think, I wonder how many trials they actually had in the past to work out, oh, maybe what other drugs could we use or what, what happens here? And so in the case of like, we've already said about the benefits to a patient, but also you, you've mentioned there about maybe using current medications to solve a different problem. And obviously that would then have a huge effect maybe on the health service as a whole when you talk about funding, when you talk about actual... Yes. 
So, so we're talking about like obviously the importance of research. And when you think of, of funding, my first question is, who actually funds a lot of your research? You've mentioned that there are outside sources, but who funds the majority of your research? Yeah, so um, in, in Wales, we have an organisation called Health and Care Research Wales, who um, work very closely with the Welsh Government. So they are heavily involved in um, in, in funding research that happens within Wales, but they're not the only source. So I, earlier I mentioned, um, you know, a couple of things. You've got pharmaceutical companies, you'll have universities, charitable organisations who all put funding into, um, into research. And it's, it, we, we get a combination of them all, really, within research delivery. We'll work very closely with pharmaceutical sponsors, and usually they, they well, not usually, but, you know, they, may, they might be um, trials that are conducted on a global scale, whereas you may then get smaller um, trials that are um, funded by a university. Um, or a charitable organisation, which are more local, might might only be a few sites in Wales, for example, or even one site. Um, so yeah, it comes it comes from a variety of sources, really. Yeah, and then you've you also mentioned earlier about how you, you can have trials with I think the way you put it was more well patients. So um, do you have a lot of maybe volunteers come forward? Because I I I actually have a friend who recently was telling me about how. Um, as you can imagine, students are very poor. And uh, he's like, hey, have you heard about uh, doing a clinical trial to make some money on the side? Um, and I was thinking like, oh, well, I'm actually, I've never heard of that. But is that kind of linked to like research nurses or is that more private clinical studies that people would do? Yeah, that's, that's more private really with, with what we call a clinical research organization okay. where they may have certain studies that have... Um, inconvenience payments for yeah. for participants that take part. Mainly within the NHS, we, we focus on patients and obviously anything, if, if there are any payments involved for patients, then it has to go through strict ethical reviews yeah. as well. Um, whether that's inconvenience payments or um, reimbursement for travel and, and things like food and things like that. Exactly, because that was my hesitation yeah. because I was thinking that surely if there's money involved, that brings up a huge ethical question. And I know that ethics would be a massive part of research. And um, obviously within nursing, ethics is, is huge as it is. Um, what, what can you actually tell me, what, what would you say is the hardest side of ethics within research? As in, as in like, for example, do you ever, you've already mentioned how maybe um, with certain patients, you might have to make a last minute decision to take them off a certain trial. Um, have there ever been any times when you've had to really kind of like scratch your heads on whether a certain trial should be going ahead on a whole or not? I was going to say, for, for, for in my experience, generally they're winged out at ethics. I, I've never opened a study or been part of that a process where I thought we shouldn't be running this study because they just don't get through the ethics there might be a study that comes up and you think it looks really good and you think it's going to go really well and then once you start addressing sort of aspects of it you open up the study and you start trying to recruit you then realize there's an issue but you are in constant communication with the study office because if a, a study is opened and you're not recruiting 
They need to understand why, what's going on, because it might be they have to change the protocol. They might have to change their guidelines on, on what's happening. I would say that sometimes it can be very hard. So some of the studies I ran, I had to recruit people on the day they got their cancer diagnosis. And so ethically as a nurse and sitting in that space, I had to be able to hold that space and feel that I was going to do no harm. And and quite often I would always, again, work with the consultant and I would work with the clinical nurse specialist in that area. Often I would be sat in the room at the consultation and we just had agreed signs. So they just introduced me as a specialist nurse and we had agreed signs. And if we all felt that this person should not be approached for this particular research study, we'd just do a little shake of our head when obviously people couldn't see and I wouldn't talk to them about the research. So that's, I don't know if I particularly answered your question no, you about have. my personal experience of what I think you mean. You've definitely answered yeah. it. And to be honest, you've kind of shown, it's, it's kind of, for me, it shows how little I know about it because um, if anything, that's really comforting to know that um, if any, if there was ever going to be any issues, that that is the whole reason that you have this whole ethical kind of like decision making before anything even goes beginning, you know, anything ever starts. Um, I know. We've um, kind I was of, just gonna. Well, sorry, Connor. I was just gonna say as well. In terms of um, the ethics committees um, side of things, I just wanted to point out that it is done. Um, uh, any clinical trial that is brought to patients is reviewed by an independent ethics committee. So it's not all of us getting in a room and deciding, yeah, we think it's ethical or not. It's an independent review by professionals and they include lay um, lay members as well. Um, so people with expertise in that area and also people who are just members of the public who ask their own questions. They say, well, what's happening with my data? What's happening in terms of GDPR? Some trials that I've come across before, um, there may be questions around the patient's capacity to give consent so they review, you know, what what will the informed consent process be? Mm. Is it going to be consent from the patient or do you need to consider a consultee, for example? Um, so I, I, one one um, trial that I'm thinking off the top of my head is uh, a study involving stroke patients where they may just have for a very short period, period of time a reduced capacity, but actually they might regain that capacity. So it's a constant assessment and they... An ethics committee will look at that in great detail when they're reviewing mm. protocol as well. That's and right. as well, to add to, to what Vianne said, I'm also thinking of some ITU studies uh, and, and the Welsh Ambulance as well. They've had studies where they will, people get included in a research study, um, certainly with the ITU during COVID, through discussion with the medic looking after them and the, mm. the family. And then the people, once they were well, were then consented and then it was up to them whether or not they withdrew their consent for their information to be used. There's very, there's a lot of different ways consent processes can work via ethics. You know, there's always a lot to consider. It's fascinating. It's funny you say that, Mandy, because that was exactly what I was about to mention, actually. Um, I, I spent a little bit of time in ITU during my um, first placement and I uh, was speaking to a nurse there and it was... Um, with COVID patients and they mentioned to me oh they're actually doing this research trial right now in ways they're kind of like it's like a randomized trial in, uh, in finding the best way to actually help these patients to recover the quickest and I thought it was really interesting and then right now I'm actually on acute stroke uh, so this goes into what you were saying Vian. and and they I know that um, patients can be approached and asked if they want to take part in trials about um, 
maybe the best way to have their medications managed from here or stuff like that. And I, I've, I've been a patient in the hospital before. I've never been approached like this, but I, did, I do find it um, funny to, obviously as an observer watching it, thinking I've always found it really um, reassuring how the patients get approached. Generally, you do have a specialist nurse, you'll have a consultant, you'll have other members of the MDT. It's really nice to see how they get approached, how everything gets explained to them in detail so that they know exactly what they're signing up for. Um, the idea of consent is there and they make, you know, they do a full capacity check, you know, to just to make sure this person is able to make this decision. Um, and it's kind of through these, through these things that I've become really interested in research myself. And so we, we've kind of talked about research as a whole, but now if we can maybe talk about you guys as well as, um, as nurses, I guess, because obviously you've had a road to get into research and maybe something that made you want to go into research. So could you maybe take it in terms to maybe tell me, tell me a little bit about your road into research and then why you love your job so much, if you love your job, but what do you enjoy about your job? What, 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 what enticed you into research? Okay, yeah, um, I'll, I'll start off. Um, so I have now been a qualified nurse for um, about 10 years now, actually. And um, so I didn't go straight into research. I actually, um, when I qualified, I decided that I wanted to work in a critical care environment. So I applied for a post as an intensive care nurse. And I worked in intensive care for around four years. And then um, for a short period of time in between, then I used to work in, um, in A&E as well, um, mainly kind of surgical and medical assessment. Um, so I've had a bit of a, a mixed uh, way. And then um, basically I just saw a, a position come up for a research nurse, a clinical research nurse within the clinical research facility um, here in Cardiff. And um, it's, it's one of these things, actually, where I, I probably didn't know an awful lot about the role myself, if I'm being honest. Um, we come across it at the moment where sometimes um, we might have applicants apply to work with us and they think that what the role involves is a lot more of the academic side of research. And I think I had the same the, the same thinking when I first applied, really. But what I did before I um, came for an interview is I, I looked up some of the principles of good clinical practice, and that explains an awful lot as well. I, I would definitely recommend to anyone who's interested in research to have a look at a good clinical practice course. You can do it online for free as well. Um, but that explains things like the principles of giving informed consent. Um, you know, the, what we've talked about, about explaining all the risks and benefits, making sure that um, yeah, you explain everything to the patient, they have opportunities to ask questions. Um, I also did a little bit of reading around um, the history of clinical trials as well, which is really interesting, um, particularly if you look at things like the Nuremberg trials following World, World War II, um, where... Um, I won't go into details, but um, it's basically um, people who were experiment experimented on throughout World War II, um, and there were some uh, trials following that. Um, so that got me really interested. I, I came for an interview, and um, I was lucky enough to be offered the position. Um, so I started in the clinical research facility working on early phase clinical trials, um, and all of a sudden, for the first time in my whole career, I was given my own caseload, my own trials, and told, right, you have to set this up. So I think, um, you know, the, the, the role of a research nurse is, is, 
it's got both clinical and more of a kind of administrative aspect to it. I think mm. we have to be realistic about that. Is you know, if you work in somewhere somewhere like ITU, you are clinical all of the time. Um, you are you turn up for your shift. You're looking after a patient, and you are there in that environment, um, giving that one-to-one patient care. In research, you do get that, but you also get the other half of the the role where you need to sit down and set up a study. You need to make sure that it's um, that you've got all of those regulatory approvals, such as the ethics submission. Um, you need to make sure that um, it's conducted safely, so looking at risk assessments and things like that. Um, but yeah, so all of a sudden I found that I had my own caseload, but actually I was really enjoying it. I was really enjoying having that time to sit down and organise my own workload, but also have that one-to-one patient contact. Mm. Um, with early phase clinical trials, I know we've already mentioned it, I worked on a lot of haematology trials, so I was also chemotherapy trained with that as well. So I was giving chemotherapy, I was there during that patient uh, journey when they were having chemotherapy started and, and advising them on, you know, if they, they, my patients would call me if they got side effects, for example, and mm. I might be heavily involved in in making sure that we manage that appropriately. Um, so, yeah, so I was in that role for about two and a half years and then, and then I um, went to work in an Iron Bevan University Health Board as a research team lead. Um so I that, that's going more into like the management side of research. So I won't go into too much detail there. Um, but that was work, working more on the later phase clinical mm. trials. So um, as Mandy's already mentioned, um, I won't go into too much detail about that. Um, so yeah, I've been in research now for about six years. Really, really enjoy it. Um, you know, I think you get a, a really good um, varied role. Um, what else can I say? I'm, obviously, I'm here back, back in Cardiff and Vale at the moment as research delivery manager. Something that um, you know has been a challenge recently is conducting uh, vaccination trials, and obviously COVID nineteen in general. It's been it's been a real challenge. Um, but you know, we we conducted a vaccine study, and um, you know, as a result of that, it's, it's been brilliant to see. You know, we've got vaccinations available to to people now I think there was there was another COVID study about this time last year um the recovery trial which found that dexamethasone was a useful drug already available really cheap as well that could help prevent um you know unwell patients from deteriorating um so yeah thank you um, I'll hand over to Mandy now yeah. talked enough <laughs> so my, my career pathway is interesting because one of the things I think a lot of people don't appreciate when you're a student nurse and I know I had no idea what that there was even such a thing as a research nurse as a job opportunity when I was a student nurse which happened to be at exactly the same time as we are we've been qualified exactly the same length of time uh, is the, the the career pathways that can be open to you because I tend to hear when I talk to a lot of nurses on the ward, I do tend to hear this cry of, but you become de-skilled, you're not clinical. Actually, you are clinical, as Vianne said, you have your own patient load. You know, I I ran studies across multiple um, disease sites and I had a patient load that was in the hundreds, uh, some which you were seeing every month, some which you were only following up once a year. Um, but for me, I did my 
degree, my nursing degree, I was working in ophthalmology theatres and I had the opportunity to do a PhD. So at that point, I thought I wanted to be a nurse researcher. I made the decision after doing my sort of postgraduate research that I, I didn't want to be a nurse researcher, I wanted to be a research nurse because I then found out about the role of a research nurse. I went along to Valindra, I spoke to the people at Valindra, and they kindly allowed me to shadow the research nurse team for a week, so I could get a really good idea of just what it was research nurses did, because I have to admit, I still, even having written my own protocol and run my own study, didn't have a clue what research nurses did, and I thought, wow, this is the right mix of that academic ability where you have to be very organised, you have to have the ability to liaise with consultants and people who are quite high up, radiologists, pathologists, you know, a massive group of people. And you have to advocate for your patients as well. You, you get to know all the nurses and the doctors in various clinics and you build up a great rapport and you are all there rooting for your patients. Uh, and so I then was lucky enough to get the job as a the haematology nurse in the Nairn Bevan University Health Board. Uh, I went, came in as a band five and I then went up to a band six. And after oh, five or six years doing that, um, the opportunity came up for me to become, to apply for the Cancer Research UK lead nurse uh, for Cancer Research in Wales. And so I made the decision uh, to apply for that. So my career has actually now gone on a very different path. I'm not clinical anymore and I miss that. I do miss that because I loved my patients and I loved going on their journeys because some of these patients you are with for years and obviously you do lose patients, they die and you feel very much a part of their whole process and supporting them. But now I am in a strategic role where I'm looking at what I can do to help cancer research grow and move forward in this, well, I can't say post-COVID at the moment, sadly, because I think we're still very much in it, but in the, the, the place we are now. So I, that can be, I support education. Mm -hmm. uh, I will give teaching sessions. I was part of a CIUK uh, webinar in May, which you can watch online if you go to the CIUK website, where we discussed what lessons we learned during COVID and how we could apply them to our cancer research portfolios across the whole of the UK. Uh, as well, it, it's lobbying. I go to the Senate. I give talks in the Senate um, to the Assembly members. I will liaise with other cancer charities around Wales about how we can work together to, to sort of lead and bring research in as a core value into our NHS. And I, my strong belief is engaging with students like yourself and doing what we're doing is key to this. Exactly, because that was uh, that's kind of what I want to basically say about it, is, is that it's funny how you both mentioned how you've had such interesting roads into research um, and you know, you've, you've gone from one thing to another and then found yourself in research eventually, but how research you want to be a core value and how it's great that it's being kind of like shown to students more now, because just like, just like you said, Vian, even when you maybe started in research, you didn't really know what, what, what it was, but you just thought, oh, um, you know, we'll just see how it goes. And so I think it's great because knowing these pathways are open to you as a student, one thing that you get asked a lot every time you go on to a new ward or anytime somebody asks you, somebody finds out you're a student nurse, 
it is quite common to be asked, oh, do you know what you want to go into? And um, obviously most, most of the time you'll just say, uh, well, I'm not too sure yet. You know, I've still got two years ahead of me for myself. I've still got two years ahead of me. We'll, we'll see where I land. Um, and obviously there's no pressure at all to, to choose anything, but it's good to, to know the different pathways that are open to you. And it sounds really nice to hear that um, with research, there is this kind of balance between it's not all academic and it's not all clinical, but it is a, a great little mix of the two and that you do still have this wonderful patient interaction, which to be quite honest with you, I thought might have been missing from research. I thought it might have been a lot of big decisions and kind of like um, less actual hands-on time with patients. But when you say about the fact that you have such continuation of care with patients, that you have maybe the same, the same people that you see for years and you'll see them maybe through their worst times or through their best times, and I think that is absolutely wonderful because on a very minor scale, we might see that on the wards. We might go in one week and we might have the same patient there for the whole time that we're there on placement. And you become so attached to this person. And I know that you're kind of taught to always keep professional professional relationships, but it's it's kind of like you you want the best for this person and you want to advocate for them. And it seems like that is such a strong kind of core in research. And so... Before, before we go, as what would be your advice to students? I know, Vianne, you already mentioned that when you qualified, you went straight into ITU. Another thing that you'll often hear people tell you, especially qualified nurses you might meet, is, oh, you know, you, um, you have to get some experience before you choose what you want. Um, let, let's say that there's somebody listening who thinks to themselves, everything that I've heard so far, I love the sounds of it. I would love to see what research is about what would be your um, recommendations to anybody, whether it's a student, whether it's a qualified nurse listening to this, anybody who might think that could be a path for me? How would they go about getting into it? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, I think, you know, I think we're always open to anyone who's interested in research coming out and doing a placement with us. I know that we we actually offer spoke placements at the moment, but even if anybody wanted to come and, and, you know, just get some work experience, then we're, we're more than open to that. Um, I think there are um, some research roles out there. There's definitely research roles out there for, um, for somebody who's just coming out of university. Um, I think if you've got the drive, the determination and the inclination to, to, to want to work, well, work hard like anywhere else, really, I guess, but I suppose to, to be a, to be a research nurse, you have to be organised. You have to be able to read lots and lots of papers that have lots of detail and try and be able to pick it apart. And I think if you know if you've got those skills, then there's no reason why you can go into research as a newly qualified nurse, for example. That being said, I think it really does help if you do have some of that uh, clinical background, particularly if you're working in somewhere like a. a um, later phase trials where you might be going out to the wards and actually running the research on the wards. I think if you know how the wards work and you know how the nurses on the wards work, then that can really help as well. So I think, I think it's, there's a bit of both, you know, I, I wouldn't, ne I would never um, put somebody off who's newly qualified who wants to go into research. And I, I think just, that, you know, get out there, read as much as you can. I've already mentioned good clinical practice. Yeah. I think if you've got that drive and determination to, you know, advocate for your patients, you, you'd like a varied role, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, but just get in touch with us. I mean, we're based at the clinical research facility and I'm always open to have chats with, with anybody who's interested in a research career. And I would, I would echo what Vianne said. I, I, don't be afraid to approach a research unit and do what I did. I just asked if I could come in and shadow and I did it in my own time. You know, it was completely unpaid, but it was invaluable because I got to sit in to see how the MDT discussions works. I got to see how the nurses were, how they liaised in clinic with the consultants and the other nurses, how they were with the patients. Uh, and when I then got my own research nurse job, it, that really stood me in good stead because I didn't have a clue what a CRF was until I did shadowing. I didn't have a clue, you know, what certain, there's a lot of terminology as there is with anything. And, and you just start to learn the language, you know, and you're in the midst of going from placement to placement. So I imagine you sit during handover and it's exactly the same. And write everything you don't understand, you write down and then you either ask or go and look up. And if you do some shadowing, if you start having these conversations, if you're interested, it starts that process. And then it's not so, you know, it, it's that classic, a job is never what you think it is. It, it is what it is. Until you get into it, you don't know what it will be. And yeah, uh, I know Vianne, had a lot of sort of experience in ITU and stuff. I was someone who I did work for 10 years as a nursing auxiliary before I did my training. So I knew how the wards worked, but I didn't work for long as a nurse before I got my research nurse job. So it's, it's you know, I think it's down to the individual. And you know, if you've got that passion for research, I knew all through the three years of doing my my um, training as a nurse that I wanted to do research. I had that passion. So follow your passion. Oh, thank you very much. I, I really, really appreciate the talk that we've been able to have here. Um, I don't really know how we're meant to end this, to be honest. It feels a bit emotional to end it here. But uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for what we've what we said and um, for especially for kind of like the advice that you've given, because I'm sure, as you know, this this is uh, this podcast is often used as an educational tool for students as well. And um, I can I can say that uh, a lot of the feedback I've heard is that people love this podcast. And I think this episode is going to be another one that uh, people really appreciate. And you never know, your inboxes might be full very soon of students <laughs> wanting to follow you around. So you might have shot yourselves in the foot a little bit there. Oh, well, thank you ever so much, Connor. It's been lovely to speak with you. No, thank you both. Yeah, thank, thank you for this opportunity. It's been, it's been really interesting. So, thank you. Take care. So, a uh, massive thank you to Connor for undertaking that interview. Um, I'm sure you'll agree, it's a bit of a natural. Um, also, a huge thank you to Mandy and Vian um, for their time and their incredible insights into the work that they do. Um, if you'd like more information on that, please look at the Cancer Research UK website. In the next episode, Mike will be talking to Alison about her role in Huntington's research. But for now, thank you for listening.